Parking, proudly sponsored by Rat Honda out of Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm your host, Jay Finning. Coming up on today's episode, I finally got the opportunity to talk to Rebecca Wynn. A little bit about the history is she worked hard to get me into SEMA. Here's the thing. The company that she was working for at the time, I did not have any parts on my car, but she understood the power of attraction in the sense that the idea, the final product would bring people to the booth. It would be foot traffic. It was all good. People would come by to see my car and they would be at their booth and they can kind of take a look around. It's, it's, it's why it's like building a nice restaurant next to a big attraction and back next to a bunch of hotels. It only makes sense. You don't build a nice restaurant out in the middle of nowhere. You build a nice restaurant where people are going to come already and then it gives them an opportunity to see something else to experience something better to experience something else right you know what it is it's like when you go on vacation when you go on a boat tour when you go anywhere that's a touristy area and you have all the little vendors that set up shop just outside the port just outside the airport just outside the boat port and sure they all kind of sell the same shit but they know that there's going to be people coming off the boat and they know that people coming off the boat are going to want to get something interesting to take back home to their loved ones. And so they set up shop right there at the port of entry. And having a booth vehicle at SEMA kind of works the same way. You know people are going to come there and you're going to give them something to look at while they're there. And so she worked really hard to make that happen. It didn't work out, but I never forgot how hard she worked because there was nothing in it for them as far as, again, nothing on my car. But she understood she understood how all that worked. And I was like, man, she's smart. And so I finally got an opportunity to talk to her. And also I explained to her near the end of the conversation why it took me so long to even get her on the podcast. She probably wasn't curious, but it's kind of a funny, it's kind of a funny reason. But I'm glad it took so long because a lot of stuff has happened in the last couple of years and it's given a lot of people a lot of things to think about. So I hope you all enjoy this as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with her. If this is your first time listening to the show, go ahead and hit subscribe or follow whatever the podcast platform is you're listening to this on and and go ahead and leave me a review. Like and share, that's the only way I grow. Coming up, Rebecca Wynn. It's time for the Social Media Highlight of the Week brought to you by The Cell Shop, an Arizona-based retailer that strives to be your destination of choice. For wireless services, visit them at cellshop.us at C-E-L-L-S-H-O-P dot U-S. Rebecca Wynn, I've had you on my list for a long time to be a part of this podcast. When I tell you why it's taken so long, you're going to laugh. It's more than just timing. But why don't you tell us who's Rebecca Wynn? Yeah, I'm Rebecca Wynn, and I, uh, I'm i a, a Subaru enthusiast and kind of an enthusiast of, honestly, anything cars and motorcycles and, and that kind of culture as a whole. But I specialize in marketing in the automotive space. That was nice and, and succinct. That was, good <laughs> to job. To the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> Good job. So I, I know you as someone who's always busy. And the reason why I wanted to have you on here is because we, I think as people, we see people, we always see them doing something. And we, that's the only side of them that we know. We don't know who that person really is. We don't know necessarily mm-hmm. what it took to get to where they're at. We assume, man, you're out there killing it and you are, but you know, sometimes it seems like we're killing it, but we're really not. I kind of suffer from that, from the public perception as well. Mm-hmm. You know, having you on here today, having a conversation with you about your life, about professional, some personal, some family, some ideologies, outlooks to what we have going on, and not only in Arizona, but around the world, hopefully gives people an opportunity to know, you know, who you are. So awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's always great to kind of share the story and honestly, some of the more vulnerable sides of the success that may be seen. Um, I feel like it's not something that's often talked about, but it's definitely part of the reality. Especially in in this pandemic era, when I think about you, the thing I always go to, and I always bring this up with you, right? Do you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to talk <laughs> I'm, about. I'm a little worried. <laughs> okay, I'm going to talk about SEMA. It's my show. Oh, yeah. I don't like talking about me. The listeners are going to laugh at that, but I really don't. But <laughs> you know, I I knew you kind of just from being around Arizona, and when I decided I wanted to go and get try to find sponsorship to get into SEMA. You know, you're one of the people I talk to and you're like, well, we don't know if we have a spot for you, but I, I'm going to try hard to see if I can get you in. And at that point, 
nobody had ever tried harder to make something happen for me for something that I said was a goal of mine than you. Even half of my current sponsors, either they weren't a vendor at SEMA or they mm-hmm. were a vendor and for whatever reason, they didn't want to lift a finger to, to do anything. And so that's gotcha. being committed and in, in, in trying to make that happen for me told me exactly who you were as a person when I wasn't, I didn't know. Anyway, you're just, okay, I'll try to get you in. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, cool. That'd be cool if you do, but no expectations. And I think since then, I've just kind of held you up to a certain light where like, Rebecca makes shit happen. Watching you, <laughs> you know, from from classic cars, from always, you know, doing the photo shoots with our media, you know, your media company that you have from, you know, launching, you know, print driven. We'll talk about that. You're always out there. You're always kind of in the middle and you're always making things happen. And that's what I think most of us see. So kind of hard to do, I guess. There's no right answer, <laughs> but so why are you, why are you so driven? Oh, that's a, that's a deep question. It is a, it is a deep question. You know, what makes you tick? You know, honestly, I kind of have to date this back pretty far into like how I was raised. Um, in, in our household, we had this pretty firm rule that I didn't enjoy at the time, but I appreciate now. And that rule was you never say, I don't know. And that has changed mm. so many, so many things for me. And that's probably one of the reasons why I've done everything I've done up to this date is this really, I have a question and I don't want to answer it with, I don't know. So I've gone and really researched and, you know, kind of dove straight in to some of those questions and it's turned into a career, to be honest. And then the other side of that is also, you know, that was such a strong lesson early on from my father and I lost him pretty early. So I was, I think I was only 22 when he passed and that was like probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to take because my goal in life was really simple growing up. And it sounds very cliche, but my goal in life was really just to be able to take care of my parents when I was older. Um, and when you lose one and you kind of lose your purpose in life, the other, the only other way to kind of proceed from that point is to honestly dedicate your life to um, fulfilling that, you know, their legend and also their, what they've done for you. So I just want to fulfill, you know, what my dad has given me, what my parents have given me and um, really just pay tribute to everything, all the hard work that they put into putting me where I am today. And you are, you're one of five, correct? Yep. So I have two older sisters and an older brother and then a younger brother. Okay. So now I know where you are in the pecking order. Yeah, I'm actually closer to the younger. <laughs> right. So you're, I mean, but your parents, your father, you guys immigrated. At you, were you born here? Yeah. So um, when my parents came to the U.S., um, they actually met in New Orleans. After they met there, they ended up moving to Philadelphia, where they had my sister, my oldest sister. And then after that, they moved to um, Houston, where they had my brother. And then they ended up moving here specifically because of the weather and the air quality, because my dad had a lot of health issues um, and then had the remaining three here in Arizona. You had mentioned that, um, I think it was a standout LA video, that, you know, life was really hard. You know, being an Asian American from, you know, being born here, but your parents not coming from here, which is, it's a big story, especially from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And you had a broken family. What did you mean by that? So when my dad growing up, he had a childhood that was developed around the Vietnam War. Mm. I can't even imagine right. how that was, right? So coming to the States, I mean, culturally speaking, it was different over there than it is here. That's pretty straightforward, right? But in a high, you know, very extreme and tension um, kind of environment that he grew up in, coming here, I think it was hard for him to kind of translate the societal norms here and the ones there. So growing up, we weren't very well off. Mm. My dad was uh, very sick. He had a heart disease when he was younger and it wasn't diagnosed until he came to the States. I think he was like 20, uh, 25 or 26. And it had done enough damage to where he needed open heart surgery. He had to get some artificial valves put in. So also another reason why we moved around so much is his health was this really bad. And we had to find a place that the weather was good for his lungs. And so long story short, he just wasn't working. Uh, My mom was essentially the 
the breadwinner. And without a formal education, the only real job that she could get that could support us was a factory job. So Revlon had a factory here and she actually worked there as a factory worker, just kind of, you know, boxing things up and things like that. So raising a family of five is pretty difficult with one single income. So things were a little, you know, tight and tough in the, when I was younger. I didn't truly understand what that meant, but we, we made it work. And my parents were very, I guess you'd say scrappy um, and mm-hmm. savvy. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so my dad, you know, he kind of grew up in that kind of war-torn environment. He was in the military. He essentially grew up in an orphanage and got into boot camp, what they would call, I guess, boot camp um, at a fairly fairly young age. So he grew up in that military environment. So therefore, if it's the only thing you know, you're likely to maybe translate to how you raise your kids the same way. Sure. So that's kind of how he raised us. You know, we, we did like exercises, um, just like a boot camp. He was very strict with us. Affection was not a thing. I think the first time I told him I loved him was like after he had his first heart attack and cause I didn't know what that word meant. So that's always a challenge, you know, the communication also, you know, societal norms and all of that. So with that, as my siblings got older, some of the tendencies my dad had to try and discipline us, um, they learned through like going to school that it wasn't okay. So at that point, my older siblings started to really put their foot down as they got older, which really ended up pushing my older brother out of the house. Right. So my older brother ended up moving out when I think he was 15 um, and lived with my aunt on my mom's side. And that was a big bummer for me because he was he was my role model. Mm-hmm. So I lost that early. So that really, you know, it was hard when I was younger to kind of lose the, the role model. And then the household was always just confusing. So I'm like, well, well, why is my brother leaving? You know, why are we sure. always arguing? Why is there's why is there always yelling? You know, and uh, so that's kind of where the broken home concept comes from. And mm-hmm. uh, my mom wasn't really around because, well, she's always working, you know. So I think at this juncture, I think my mom's trying to like make up for a lot of missed opportunities to really have a relationship with us um, as children, but things are, are getting better, which it kind of sucks, but I feel like, you know, the passing of my dad was actually something that brought us together more so than anything else, but closer to the, the end of his life, we, I actually had a conversation with him. And one of the reasons why I don't have any animosity towards him is because I, you know, I asked him, I'm like, why, why were you like that? I don't understand. And he, he finally opened my eyes that that was, that was all he knew. And it was hard for me to hold any animosity towards him after that conversation. So, so life is very interesting. It's a very, (laughs) there's so many different variables and perspectives. And I think that's what kind of helped me kind of lead into this very unique path in life. Yeah. You had, you had said in a previous interview that, you know, your father's passing helped your sense of perspective on a lot of things. And do you think you can, because of your upbringing and which by the way, I mean, that's, you know, the person you've turned into, like no one knows except for maybe a few people. now the six people who listen to this podcast, you know, <laughs> some of your, your early struggles in life, but that kind of like shapes you and molds you. Did you find that although as an adult, it probably helps you understand people's different communication styles and maybe a little more lenient in, in understanding why things are the way they are. But you know, from your friendships, your personal relationships, you know, were you even allowed to have friends, you know, and if you did, you know, mm-hmm. you didn't want to bring them around or you couldn't go anywhere. Like, how do you think that kind of affected you younger in the same shape that, you know, as you became a young adult and an adult, like how much do you think that caused your personality to, to possibly be different? Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, that upbringing definitely shape the way that I interact with people and also my want, if not, I think at this point, it's a need to interact with people. My my social interactions, especially, you know, post-COVID or during COVID, whatever you want to call it now, but losing the social interactions really, it, it dealt a big blow to me. I didn't realize how much I needed that. But um, yeah, when I was younger, it was hard to bring friends around because it, they didn't really understand culturally you know, a lot of the things that we are normalizing within our household that may not be 
outside of it. So growing up, I didn't really have um, many friends, especially considering we grew up in, in New River, if you know where that is, but it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It was at least now it's developing, but I believe we were the only minority in my, my school from kindergarten all the way up to like middle school. Oof. So yeah, it's a, it's a little different, you know, um, especially when kids are kind of concerned and they, they're not sure what you are and they're asking you what you are and you're in, you're really young and you're not really sure either. But, uh, but yeah, I, as I grew up, you know, I think not having those connections really actually hurt my development because my social skills were terrible. They were terrible all the way up until I think I was like 19, 20. And once I started kind of getting out on my own because I had some differences with my family because I dropped out of college, I ended up having to seek relationships outside of family. Right. Um, yeah. So when I was 18, I went to community college for about a semester. And during that time, my dad's health was pretty, pretty bad. So I was working full time, living on my own and trying to also balance as much as I could to help my dad through a lot of his illnesses. And so a lot of the friends I had made in uh, high school and, and whatnot, they kind of dissipated because I was constantly at work. So there was no time to you know, nurture those friendships. But when I had dropped out of college, my family kind of distanced themselves from me. So I didn't really have a support system. And it, you definitely need one, especially at that age. Sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so without a support system, I was kind of like, well, what do I do now? You know? And so I had this car. Uh, this is where the Subaru starts to really come into play. And and I knew that there was like car meets and stuff because my older brother used to go to them with this car. And I got to a point where I was like, I just need to make friends. I need to get out of my bubble. I need to get out of this rut. Um, I'm tired of being lonely, you know? And so crazy story. I actually, when Craigslist had those, uh, I think it was like the platonic um, uh, meeting section. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yep. So when they had that, I was like, you know what? Like, let's just throw it out there. So I posted a picture of my car and I was like, just looking for people to talk to about cars. My clutch is going out. If you know somebody that, you know, does work on the side, I don't want to pay the dealership price. I don't really know where else to go. You know, hit me up. So funny story is my friend of now like 10, 10 years, Joe Lombrana, he actually emailed me. He's like, I got a, I got a bug eye too. I'm like, sweet, let's go grab coffee. And honestly, we've been like best friends since then. And he lives down the street from me now. We see him all the time. He was there for my proposal. Like that's what cars do. And after I had that experience and slowly started building more friendships through just this icebreaker of a car, it helps kind of fill this void or this this flaw I had with this like social interactions. I didn't have it. I didn't grow up with it, you know? And because of this icebreaker that is a car, I can start a, a conversation with anybody. So after that experience, I really thought, I'm like, I want to share this. And if I have to make a career out of it, that's what I'll do. Isn't it amazing? And it's, it's hard to explain to people who don't, and I say this on the podcast often, who don't really get cars or don't consider themselves a car person. You know, I mean, what is a car person? We're going to define that. I'm, actually, I'm going to have you define that. But <laughs> cars connect us. Absolutely. And that's exactly I your story. Agree. And... I mean, you're, you're forever connected with your older brother because of your car that you're mm -hmm. never going to sell. Right. Which, by Absolutely. the way, the, the banana, the, how do I, is it banana roux? Did I say it right? Banana roux, yep. Yes. It's a combination of banana and subaru. Banana roux. Yep. I have your, your little banana roux pin on my on my backpack. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's like one of the four pins. Banana. Yeah, yeah. It goes everywhere with me. It's one of the four pins. So. Oh, the, I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> There's, uh, so we'll just jump into that now. Actually, no, I want to, I want to, I want to keep digging into you a little bit with this. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. It, yeah. And it's digging into this a little bit. Um, so you had mentioned, you know, you went to college, but you know, you didn't get a degree and I know a lot of families kind of, they look down on that. Um, mm -hmm. so a couple questions. First one is why, like, why can you say, why can you, could you never say, I don't know? Where do you think that comes from? Honestly, as it, it was a, a sense of fear. <laughs> my dad was very strict. Um, 
So if we did say that, you know, we usually ended up in a spanking, which I guess is not appropriate anymore. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was honestly, it was like fear. But that fear has definitely changed into more of a form of appreciation. But I do have to balance that because there are times where I'll obsess over things that may not actually be vital to my end goal. But because I have that drilled in my brain that I just can't say no or I don't know, then I have to I have to dig into it. So as of right now, it's one of the transitional things I'm kind of focusing on as far as self-development goes is really balancing that mentality. Because in all honesty, being extreme on honestly anything can sometimes be a bad thing. So as of right now, that kind of mentality, I, I kind of need a balance. But um, yeah, it was is more purely out of fear, but now it is kind of a driving force. No, that's perfect. And it kind of goes right into this with your lack of a formal education, not wanting to fail because, you know, you can't fail given given the past and maybe seeing some of the struggles that you had and your family had growing up. You think that's really kind of the root cause and how hard you continue to work and kind of the example you just gave. Like sometimes you may obsess over something that's not really vital to the end goal, but it's just that little detail that you've had ingrained in your in your life, in your mind, and everything you do to not drop the ball or else you've failed somewhere. And then how much of that do you think is hardwiring, right? Like, isn't it kind of, mm, it's kind of weird to wonder, you know, what was I born with and what, you know, what's kind of, I don't like throwing it's around the term me. PTSD, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, <laughs> no, you're right though. You're right. Um, and I actually, you know, I have this firm belief that a lot of our morals and values, they're really ingrained early on. It's, I don't think all of, I, I think the most important ones are ingrained super early. So I do believe that I have to give a lot of thanks to my parents for ingraining certain aspects on me early on. Now, my dad may have done it in a very extreme way, but there was an appreciation that I have for it now that I can't dwell on the possible negativities that could have come with that because I could have victimized myself and kind of taken this a different way. Sure. So it's, there is some choice in it, but there's also some level of, like you said, like hardwiring that happens. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't feel like I'm done growing. So I like to kind of focus on, you know, self-reflecting and getting an idea of where I can improve and maybe why I do things a certain way, um, because it can also help me resolve certain things before they actually become a problem. So um, that translates to my work life, um, even personal relationships and friendships. So I don't know. I, I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> it does. Have you? Okay, here's a, here's kind of a fun one here. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about this as you say that. Have you ever yelled at your fiance, Matt? Matt, this is who I am, or this is who I am, Matt. I. Honestly, have not. Um, well, you better get that out of the way. Yeah, let me. You can ask him later. He'll give you an honest answer. I promise. You're like, bro. <laughs> but honestly, I don't think I ever have. Now that I think about it, and I've, I've even during some conversations, I've even, you know, self-evaluated during those conversations where, you know, we're kind of like, well, why are you so upset about X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, I'll sit there and I'll be like, you know what? Let's let's talk this through and figure out why I'm upset before we go through the details. Because at the end of the day, if it's a problem, there's a way for you to solve it before it becomes a problem, right? Mm. So why not go yeah. to the root cause and start there and avoid all of the other variables that may be interpreted differently on both sides? So, um, yeah, I don't think I... I don't think I've ever been committed to who I am today, which sometimes could be bad, but I'm always, always just trying to just be a little better every day. Are you a list person? Like do you work your, is oh, your life revolved around lists? You should see my Google drive. I have lists for lists. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> but Google drive has been a lifesaver. Let me tell you, especially since I can bring that with me on my phone, on my laptop, everywhere I go. Um, but yes, I am a extreme list person. So the reason I'm so disorganizing is because I'm not, because I literally bought a desktop calendar, like an old school desktop calendar last mm -hmm. month, because I just needed to get all this, my life. I mean, I have 
laptops. I have smart devices like any normal person today, but I had to fucking mm-hmm. buy like a throwback desktop calendar. Cause I just, Hey, you know? everybody does it differently. Let me tell you. Cause sometimes like writing things down. Cause I, so I, for work, I still write things down. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's just from muscle memory to, to remember that feeling of writing it down. It helps me not forget it. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. Everyone's different for sure. <laughs> So everything you've gone through, and we're going to get to the fun stuff here, uh, but okay. what do you think? Because again, going back to what I said earlier, what people see, they don't see the struggle. They don't see, you know, the doubt. They don't see, all they see is the result or the perceived, you know, success. You know, what, what's been your biggest disappointment or, you know, failure? Something that you um, wouldn't. I've, I've actually had a couple. <laughs> you got to pick. Or draw but, strings. Draw straws yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think it was th- my most recent experience of just not fitting into the role I thought I was perfect for. Um, and I just had this overwhelming feeling of just imposter syndrome. And I've never had that before. I've, I've had doubt before of like, can I actually do this? Can I actually pull this off? But this was just different. And I've never d- handled it. I didn't really know how to handle it. Um, I'm still working on it, to be honest. But, you know, without having that that firm degree in my hand that says, yes, you can do X, Y, and Z, you can do marketing, I really don't have any measurement that tells me beyond maybe like a client's results on a campaign or something mm-hmm. like that. But really, there's so many variables in that as well. So there was never really a point in my life where I've actually had something solid that tells me you are qualified for the job. Mm-hmm. And then... When this role didn't work out, I was just lost. I'm like, am I just not for this? Is this is this just not me? You know? Um, and I don't know if I would call that a failure because, I, again, I'm still kind of working through that. But it was such a punch to my confidence and kind of my my strength and my motivation be, and put me in a, in a state of confusion. But you know what? Everything happens for a reason. And I hate that saying to a T. Okay, I was going to say, wait, do you believe <laughs> but, that? <laughs> yeah, I know. But honestly, my entire career where I am right now, it's all because of things that have happened for a reason. Yeah. And I, I hate to say it, but it is it is true. And, and we are self-fulfilling prophecies. And I take accountability for that and responsibility for that. So I just, I need to reflect and kind of develop in order to be where I want to be. Um, it sounds so easy and it's not, (laughs) no, you know what? I agree Um, with you. I agree with you. Yeah. It's, it's interesting for sure. And honestly, the the other failure I had that really stuck with me is I had a car show fail. I I didn't, nobody showed up. The sponsor was really upset and it just was a downer. Was that during this last couple of years or was this like a long time ago? No, this was pre Voodoo 13. I think it was like 20. 13 maybe yeah i think it's 2013 oh gosh i think so but anyways um we had put together a car show and drift event and there was one thing that didn't get handled and it just so happened to be in the insurance and it didn't get handled therefore we are not allowed on the premise so i had to sit out front of wild horse pass and tell everyone to go home okay so here's the deal I, yeah, that was a, that was a colossal fail, but in the sense that you delivered it, that's not what I envisioned. I envisioned you and your sponsor and like four cars showing up, but this was, you know, this was paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. Which still sucks, Mm -hmm. but because everyone knows you as, like I said, in the opening, you know, you're, you're the organizer, you're the woman who makes shit work, Mm -hmm. you know, just game winning shot after game winning shot after game winning shot you know we don't focus on the miss shots but the miss shots are there and they kind of get you to where you are today with mm-hmm. you worked with classiccars.com for how long and then, and then was it was it january of 2020 yeah. when you left because everybody around here were like what oh we're fucked <laughs> because you're the one who makes stuff happen like there's a lot of people around here who plan or want to plan or want you to think that they're planners that just can't get shit done mm-hmm. And so you you left for this other gig that didn't end up working out, right? Mm-hmm. And you're in kind of a transition period, sort of. Yep. Trying to yep. put your professional Definitely. life together. Yeah, exactly. Um, so 
Yeah. So for um, the car show, I started with them like in, oh gosh, I think I was doing freelance. So the first two uh, future classic car shows, um, I did freelance. Um, And during that time, I think I was actually working the first year I was working full-time at a restaurant um, for Fox restaurant concepts. And then the second year I was working full-time at Voodoo 13. Um, And then the third year they finally brought me on. Um, I actually took a demotion, I guess you could say, because I was the marketing director over at Voodoo 13. And I kind of demoted myself to a social media manager um, to to move over to classiccars.com. But it was uh, honestly the right move. And, you know, sometimes you got to take sacrifices in order to pursue your dreams. So, but yeah, so I I worked um, for them uh, in, I think it was 2017. And um, yeah, put together that car show year after year. And honestly, that was my baby. You know, I wanted in the the fourth year, I actually put that together in 30 days. That was a struggle. Um, The fifth year, which was January of 2020, um, was our best. And I actually had about six months to put that together. And then in, I believe it was December of 2020, I actually left to go work for this new gig. And then here we are. Mm-hmm. Now I'm freelance and I'm, you know, focusing on print driven and really growing that and scaling it to what it is um, as of right now. It's actually it's kind of crazy how much it's grown with the support of the community. And that's really it's homegrown. You know, I don't I don't run ads. I don't um, do any sort of paid promotion. It's all just word of mouth and through the network of drivers and photographers, uh, a method of grassroots marketing, if you if you will. And it's been doing fantastic. And I just kind of do some freelance work while I try to figure out where I want to go next. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about Print Driven? Yeah. Um, So Print Driven, it started off as an idea of how can I help these amazing photographers that I was shooting with at like these crazy events, Formula Drift, you know, Rallycross, SEMA and all that stuff. And I'm like, how can I help you guys? Because you guys are just awesome. And you're my people, you know, like we get along, we we speak the same, you know, nerdy uh, photography language. And then on the flip side, it's like, I'm watching these drivers, just like my fiance, building these cars, putting sweat, tears, blood into these cars. And I'm like, it just doesn't feel fair to me that I'm going to sell a picture of your car. And the reason why people are buying it, of course, you know, I'm sure the composition has a variable and so on. But at the end of the day, the subject impacts the sale uh, immensely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, how do I not feel guilty about making money off of your builds? You know, not saying it's, you know, it's bad or anything. So to to whoever is selling prints of other people's cars and not giving them money, it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, But I just wanted, (laughs) it's not print driven. And honestly, that's our differentiator. I had to, you know, for every business that you start, you really just need to have that key differentiator. And I kind of came up with this concept and it's like, well, why can't I just, why can't I give them money from the sale? You know, if, if the photographer agrees to it and my profit margins are, are good enough to where I can scale the business, then why not? So I kind of structured the business in a way where it was scalable and it had the profit margins and it had the network of photographers that were on board. And, and honestly, it's such a, a weight lifting concept for both photographers and drivers because they're out trying to do their thing. They're trying to build their portfolio, their career, their name, you know, trying to compete in, you know, a season of whatever they're competing in. And they don't have time to update product listings in market, you know, what's for sale and then actually fulfill the orders and develop new products and do the marketing strategy behind that. So I want to be that middleman, I guess you'd say, where I can relieve that weight off of them while offering a higher level of ROI for them as well. So the the profit margins that I actually offer for photographers is actually better than some of the services like Redbubble, for example. Right. Um, and the reason for that is because I think probably because I'm smaller scale and I can manage my costs overall a lot better than some of these big bigger services. Um, and of course, you know, I'm I'm doing it at a quality that I am proud of. And I will always make sure that the product that gets going out is to, to my standards. So that also gives these photographers a peace of mind that they know that what is going out is also representing them in the right way. So yeah, so that's kind of in the, in the gist what Print Driven is. And 
Um, it's something that, you know, is kind of, I feel like representing the type of person I am as well. It does. I mean, you're, you're the type of person, and this is why I think a lot of people, well, I know this is why not only your success in making things happen, but it's easy for people to kind of gravitate, kind of hold you up a little bit because you want everybody to succeed. You're not just in it for you. I mean, obviously if there's the cliche, you know, you help people get what they want and you get what you want. Rising tide, you know, raises all boats. Mm -hmm. But even going back to you trying to help get me into SEMA, you had, there was yeah. no reason for you to do that. You did it because you thought oh, I had a cool idea and you wanted to get me in there. And it's the same thing with this print driven thing. Cause we haven't even talked about you as a photographer and in that aspect of your hobby in your life of your business, you know, why photography, why is photography so important to you? Um, I think going back to, you know, like you said, wanting everyone else to succeed. Um, I took on photography because I saw there was an opportunity for, for me to further help, you know, these drivers and, or even my own business and other businesses that I was, you know, part of. So even when I was at Voodoo 13, um, you know, I was noticing in our marketing strategy that we could use better quality, you know, content. And that was responding really well on like social media and whatnot. So I kind of started getting into it in that aspect. But um, at the end of the day, it also helped me understand, you know, th those types of professionals because they were the, the people that I needed to do my job well, right? So as a marketing director, you need to hire freelancers in order to get your product shots, so on and so forth. So now I had a better understanding of their workflow in which that I could now better do my job. Um, but to do it on my own, that passion really started when I started to realize that I could capture moments that people can't see themselves and that they can cherish for the rest of their lives. So these drivers that are in the car competing or even at like just a regular event, but getting that photograph of them out there doing what they're passionate about, that had so much value to me because it had value to them. So being able to offer that as a service was this really enjoyable to me. So at first it started off as a hobby, um, but then as things grew, it was kind of a situation, well, if I wanted to get better at my trade, I kind of needed to reevaluate, you know, how much money I was putting into it and where that was going and upgrading gear and so on. But photography was really my way to also give back and give these memories back to all of these awesome people that were in the community. That's awesome. I have a, um, I have something that I've written, I've written down here. You had made okay. a Facebook post at some point within the last year. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered about my comment on it. I said, photographers are everywhere, but you have something that is more than most others. Did that sting or did it feel like a compliment or both? How would you process that? Because sometimes I say shit. It's like, damn, that, that sounds like, was that like a backhanded compliment? No, definitely not. Because um, I think I remember that post. I think it was something along the lines of like, listen, I know someone can do it better. I know that I'm not the best, but I'm still doing what I'm doing. I believe I think so. It was something along those lines. Yep. Yeah. And that, that was another moment of like, I don't want to say imposter syndrome, but, you know, working side by side with some of the the best photographers I've ever experienced. And I'm looking at their work and I'm like, I'm never going to be there. And it's not because I'm, I can't, it's because I'm choosing not to be there um, because they're putting in, you know, I'm probably only putting in about 40% of who I am and my time and my life into that trade where they're putting a hundred percent. So that's where I had to draw the line and, and realize that I have made the choice to not be there which is okay because I'm focusing on other things. Um, and that is their path and this is my path and it's just different. But there was, there were quite a bit of moments where I was just like, I just, I just can't fathom being okay with saying that I can't be at that caliber. It was hard, but understanding what my end goal was and just kind of changing things in the perspective on why I was pursuing that in the first place and just focusing on myself was really the lesson in that. So it wasn't a backhanded compliment, but it is true. At the end of the day, if someone wants to call it better, it's kind of, it's relative, right? It's selective. It's, it's opinionated. Um, but you're right. At the end of the day, you can, you're the only one that can do things your way um, and so on. Right. And that's how I should have taken that perspective as well. I mean, I've taken that perspective about other things. Why wouldn't I do it on this? So that was a moment of vulnerability where, you know, you were right. 
Well, you know, it's, (laughs) (laughs) well, it's one of those things, like, I guess, I guess because I've, in my own personal life, I've applied Mm -hmm. that because I guess the motivational speaker would say you're giving up on yourself, but the pragmatic person would say, you know, where you rank amongst others. And I guess also, and and I'm glad you took it that way. Like for me, it's like, I used to be, maybe I was going to be a designer. I was going to do industrial design. And there were people when I went to art school that could design me out of the room, you know, without question. But there were things I could do better than them. And so I went those directions, a better communicator, better better with people in general, better this. Whatever you put your passion towards, that's where your real talent was. It wasn't necessarily the raw talent that we thought the raw talent of me drawing something. It was a raw talent of me caring. And I think, mm. you know, for you, you can do whatever you want. And that's what that post was. You could do whatever you want to do, but you also have more to offer that a lot of people just don't have, you know, Mm. and that's just who you are as a person, whether it's from upbringing, you know, hard coding, you know, things that you've applied lessons in your, in your life. Like you have a drive that a lot of people just don't fucking have. Yeah, definitely. It's hard to, I guess that was a a moment of trying to like identify myself, right? Yeah. It was hard to really realize that my strengths are a little different. You know, my strength is in having the capability to do many things great, maybe not to the, the excellence that I was looking at in my peers, but I have a value that is different. Um, that's definitely something that was hard for me to develop overall. What are you afraid of? Um, in life, I think, and what you do. I just had this conversation with Matt recently. <laughs> So my fear is, um, I'm trying to like put this in like good terms, but honestly, my fear is being done with life, going through all of these experiences, achieving all of these things and feeling like I don't want anything else from life. That is probably my biggest fear. And it sounds very like vague, I feel. No, I get but it. Do you? Okay, good. I do. I <laughs> and, do. Like, I'm not sitting here saying that I'm suicidal or anything, but there's a level of value in life that as you accomplish these things, it's almost like going to SEMA and then not, and then trying to go to a car show locally. And you're like, okay, it's not the same, right? What's next? You know? Yeah, exactly. And, and that what's next can be, what's the word? Debilitating Uh is the word. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at that point, what's enough then? And I, I don't have the answer and I don't know if I want that answer. I don't know if I want to be at a place where I feel like, okay, that's enough. Am I prepared for that chapter of my life? I don't think so. And that's frightening because it could happen at any point. I don't know what the trigger is going to be. So I think that's where I'm kind of facing a level of self-understanding that I haven't gotten to yet. And it's it's terrifying. <laughs> I was listening to Tyson Fury's interview once, and he's the heavyweight mm-hmm. boxer. He's the gypsy boxer. Okay. And um, he had got to the top of the mountain, and that's kind of one of the things. It's for people in boxing, you live your whole life trying to become the champion. But then once you get to the top, you're the champion. Mm-hmm. And then you fall into deep depression. You know, it's like the whole what's next syndrome. So, yep. you know, you don't. no one wants to get to that wall, I think. So I agree. Yeah, I mean that's but it's, fair. it's almost like the nature of the beast, right? It is. Yep. So I think that's I'm fearful of that stage because I, I I feel like it's coming and then it's it's not something I can avoid and it's something I have to work through. But I am like extremely frightened of that time because I don't know if I'm if I've prepared myself to be able to address that and overcome it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, that's really, <laughs> it is. Girl, I got you. I got you. Rebecca tells all. Yeah, honestly, I haven't, I don't think I've talked this uh, in, intensely with someone about this kind of stuff. Honestly, really uh, beyond my fiance, to be honest. It, it's hard to understand, it you is. know, I, especially with social media, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. it, social media is, is only one very small side of the story. And here is one of the biggest sides of the story is the struggle. <laughs> You know, speaking of social media, you had also said uh, a couple of years ago, you, you came out and you posted on Facebook and you apologized for not being as available to everyone and you were going to work harder on getting back to people when they leave you messages. Is it 
social media, it, it, like, it almost demands that from us. But interestingly enough, yourself included, now whether you, you know, it, it's hard for us to say, God damn it, I'm successful. But mm-hmm. I'll just say it for you because you continue to have success even though you're in a transition period. But it seems like the people who seem to have a lot of the success are hardly on social media or post so little. Like mm-hmm. I was just at a and a, at a friend's house watching a sporting event and everybody there were like super fucking successful people and they're on our age, but they have little to no social media presence. So it makes me wonder in our society if we're just kind of sometimes focusing on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. You know, what are your I mean, I there's times I say I, I wish that Twitter would just go away tomorrow. <laughs> but I, I'm always checking it. So do I really wish it would just go away tomorrow? Like, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on how addicted we are to social media? So think of it this way. And this is something I had to teach myself is that in your garage, you probably have a gazillion amount of tools, right? And with those tools, do you need them all? No, but they all serve a certain purpose, right? Some mm-hmm. help you do something wow. more efficiently while other things maybe are just you know, the bare minimums, right? So you can actually operate with a bare minimum set of tools, but we have these other things that maybe make our lives better, right? So I see social media the same way. Yeah, There are tools to help us achieve an end goal. And it, maybe that end goal is companionship. Maybe that end goal is maintaining communication with friends and family. Maybe it's not something as extreme as developing, you know, a marketing campaign for ourselves, like a podcast or my, you know, a personal you know, business or anything like that. Maybe it's just something as simple as that, but it is a tool and not all tools need to be used. I think that's what people have the hardest time with. And a lot of of clients I've worked with, they're like, okay, TikTok's out now. There's a new feature. We need to get on it. I'm like, what is the point? Because if you are doing 10 things at once, each thing can only get 10%. So if you focus on certain things that have a specific use, then you can get more out of that tool than what you originally, you know, planned by using X amount of tools. So at the yeah. end of the day, you're, you're right. You know, a lot of these successful people that I've met as well um, have little to no social um, um, following or presence in, in general. And social media has served a certain purpose for myself. And I have finally found some balance to it where I'm not posting every day like I thought I had to, right? Right. right. Um, because I've found the value in what I've been doing now, which is really just sharing those major professional life updates and some of the things that maybe I, I just feel like really help define who I am to people who maybe are watching on the internet. So um, it's, it is hard to kind of balance what social media it truly does for you, but you have to define that yourself. No one else can do it. The social media platforms actually don't actually define that for you. Maybe LinkedIn because it's more of a professional right. um, kind of atmosphere. But the other social channels, there's no there's no telling what you can do with it. So I think everyone kind of needs to take a step back and see what does social media do for me? What platforms, what does it do for me at the, at the end of it? So I found what it does for me. And um, it's actually helped me connect with people who have offered me jobs. And it's helped me kind of get where I am here, to be honest, the only reason why I got the the Voodoo 13 job is because I saw, I think it was Nick Jackson, the owner, mm-hmm. post something on his social media. And I think somebody tagged me in it. And then it was on Facebook, I think. And then I sent him my resume. So you never know what kind of connection you'll get. Um, I like to present myself professionally on Facebook and social media because my end goal is for professional opportunities. Well said. Case in point. I mean, (laughs) all of us around here know who you are. And if they don't know who you are, the people who really need to know who you are know who you are. You don't have a giant social media following. Mm -hmm. I've I've had a few photographer buddies that, you know, like, hey, can you hook me up with theirs? Or I don't have a lot of followers. I I said, look, man, if you're really good, they will find you. Absolutely. That seems to be the case. And sometimes these corporations, they don't want somebody who's all over the fucking place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's all about the right people. Yep. And you can't have that many right people unless if that's your end goal, right? So these influencers and stuff, that is their end goal. That's the value and the differentiator that they bring to the table. But for me, that wasn't my end goal. So it's okay. It's okay if I don't have 10,000 followers, but I, I make use of the five that I have. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's one more than I have. Yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> women in automotive media and marketing. It's it's oh, kind of, man. it's almost like a... <laughs> 
I wouldn't say it's a locker room thing, but what, when you think of fast cars and stuff, you think of just like dude driving Hellcat. But when I think of marketing and people who make stuff work, it seems to always be a woman. It's, it's a kind of a, a weird thing, you know, and then for you specifically, you know, how difficult has it really been behind the scenes fighting? Is it a battle of the sexes or just basically let me just do what I do? Or have you kind of felt that, okay, well, you're a woman. What do you know? And we've mm-hmm. changed as a society a lot in the last mm-hmm. five to 10 years. But, you know, have we really changed that much? You know, what has been your experience getting to this point in your life? Yeah, that's, you know, I, I try to hide away from this co- this question, actually. <laughs> so thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but, you could be PC. I mean, you, you know. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll be, you know, I was kind of PC in that the interview with, with Standout LA and I kind of, I was like listening to it and I'm like, maybe I should have been a little more direct, but honestly, it, it's still there. Yeah. Um, and if anything, it's better hidden. Yeah. Um, however, you're right. There are many female figures out there that have laid the groundwork and really helped us females yeah. start to be more recognizable in, in the industry and, and that, that sense of recognition is something I never thought would be a handicap. So to specifically explain that, it's basically walking in the room and they they look at you and, and they think immediately, you can't do this job. Mm-hmm. How do you dig yourself out of that hole? Right. So it's not, it's hard to explain to, to in, in terms of like how it affects your workflow and your job, but there is a perspective and a mentality that comes with that initial first reaction. So that is in itself the, the biggest challenge. We are accepted in the workforce. We are considered. But when it comes to the moment of execution and or brainstorming and the, in, in the level of, I guess, contribution when it comes to developing a project idea or a campaign, that's when that handicap really starts to show itself. Um, and I have experienced that, unfortunately. And I don't think it was out of malice. Sure. I think at the end of the day, it's almost... I don't, it's like almost second nature to, to automatically assume that, okay, this smaller person can't big, pick up this big thing. It's kind of it's coded. S- it's simple like that. Yeah. So yes, I have experienced that in the past. It's, it's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, I have to focus on my own value and remember to myself where my value is. And if, if a company or, you know, a client doesn't want to see that value, in my opinion, they're lost. So it's think- okay. I think it kind of is categorized under the new term of microaggressions mm. where it's become second nature and people don't really realize it. I don't like that term in a lot of the examples mm. that's used, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're really good for a woman. You know, it's like, what yeah. does that mean? You know, <laughs> and the people who say it probably don't even mean anything by it, most of them. Right. Right. But it's just it's, it's just one of those microaggressions. It's funny that you say that because one of the challenges that I've put in place in my household um, and my my fiance has been nothing but accommodating and 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 honestly understanding, but we don't say like a girl because that's not a bad thing, right? Right. So, but it's weird because it's a natural expression. It has no malice, and you, I, I'm never angry at him for saying it, but it is something that if you want to develop into a better person and kind of make your environment different and better. There are small things like that that really, truly impact your environment and the people around you and society as a whole. So that's just one of the little things that we just we just don't do because we never I've never thought of it being a bad thing that I throw like a girl or, right. if right. I, you know, exactly. So it's just everyone's different. You know, I can sometimes throw better than a guy. And a lot of times there's guys that can throw better than me. That's a, that's fine. There's no negativity out of my gender. So it, yeah. it is a, a weird concept. <laughs> It is. And we'll roll that into cars, actually, mm-hmm. because, you know, what does it mean to be a car person? But with you bringing mm-hmm. that, you know, like a girl example up, there's a thing that I struggle with and, it, and mm-hmm. um, it's not going to be very popular, but you go to car shows and you have categories and they say best female driven car, third place. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, well, when you're modifying a car, it's not like they're out there racing or doing anything that, that requires physical you know, strength, like any, you can modify a car. You can put the wheels on the car. Do you want to skate away from that? Do you have thoughts on that category? No, I do have thoughts actually. Um, so one of the major challenges, cause I like to do work on my own car and my own motorcycle. And one of the challenges I had was that it wasn't natural for 
my dad to teach me mechanical things. Mm -hmm. But for my brothers, it was. So growing up, if you think about it, there is a handicap at that point that I wasn't given the same resources or maybe I didn't seek those same resources because I didn't think that was something I was supposed to to seek, right? Mm -hmm. So as far as my mechanical knowledge, I'm like, especially my fiance, I'm like looking at him, I'm like, how do you know all of this? Like, I'm still trying to learn the basics. Like, I, you know, not saying this was recent, but like knowing that there's different thread pitches and stuff like that. I'm like, whoa, that didn't know that was really necessary. But now I'm thinking about it and looking at it and stuff like that. But he's like, yeah, my, you know, my dad taught me that when I was really young. And I'm like, oh, well, that wasn't taught to me when I was really young, (laughs) you know? So there's a groundwork that maybe we weren't offered because the societal norm was girls didn't do that. Girls liked pink. They liked dolls. They don't like these mechanical toys that they can start learning, you know, those, um, what, what is it? The, the hand movements and like being more in tune with being able to put things together and build things and stuff like that. Like I, I was given dolls as a kid and stuff like that. Um, granted my dad did teach us a little more, um, as I got older, but I feel like there is a difference because of our past or our past generations where the assumption was girls only play with dolls, you know? So there's a lot of things that you may not realize that are hard-coded, like we talked, um, in in males because it was naturally accepted and or pushed for, you know, dads to teach their boys how to work on cars or how to change a tire and stuff like that. So I, I do feel like we need to move away from that, though. I think the participation trophy and that kind of concept needs to go away and that I don't want to be recognized just because I'm a female doing the same thing a male is doing, you know, I'm trying to get away from that. And it kind of goes back into the concept of like, you don't need to call me a car chick. I'm just an enthusiast. It's, there's no difference. We're the same, you know? So yeah, I I think right now it has, it serves a purpose is to recognize that women are becoming more apparent in the car culture and the community and the industry. But I think we do need to grow up at one point and move away from it. Definitely a difference between car chicks and chick cars. That's for damn sure. Oh, yeah? Can you explain <laughs> that to me? <laughs> yeah, the car chick is a female that's into cars and a chick car. Yeah, is a, yeah you yeah. know. I, I had I an episode, uh, Chick Cars and Chick Drinks. There was I had okay. a, a married couple, a really good friend of mine were on there, and we had a, we had a lot of fun with that episode. So Nice. I'll have to check that one out. I may have missed that one. Chick Cars and Chick Drinks. Um, <laughs> what makes someone a car person, in your opinion? A car person is someone that identifies and or prioritizes their vehicle beyond just a source of transportation. It is an expression of themselves and it is, oh, that's also a hard one. But yeah, I think that's kind of the gist, right? Like it's, it's, they look at it more than just a mode of transportation and they're really putting themselves into it. That's an excellent answer. I thought you were reading it off the wall in front of you for a second. Yeah. I was I like, holy to. shit, that's a, damn good an- that's a damn good answer. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Why do you think there's such a variation across car people? Because, and I say this a lot too, but for people who don't know anything about cars, we're all the same person. Mm-hmm. You, of all people, know that people within this car culture that we have can be very different. And then within the car culture, you know, you may have the the pure track guys looking at the pure drag racing guys, the road course guys like, oh, you don't do shit. You just, you don't, you just have to go straight. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have the, the cars and coffee, I guess the affluent crowd looking at maybe the, the entry level tuner. Like there's not really Mm -hmm. as much, like you have to find your family in the car community. It's not just liking a car automatically makes you part of the family. You know, why do you think there's such a big variation? Just biases that people have always had. I think it's environmental. Um, I think it truly just everyone kind of develops based on their environment. And that obviously is going to impact what kind of cars too, right? So if you grew up in more of like, let's say Arizona, right? You can kind of have any kind of car. But if you're in Wisconsin or somewhere that actually has seasons, you know, you're probably dealing with, you know, more outdoorsy vehicles because your environment calls for it. So I feel like the environment itself definitely has an impact to it. And then of of course, is people, um, the generations before us. It's It really depends on what you've interacted early on with. Like for me specifically, I, you know, I interacted with 
sport cars and Japanese tuner cars. And that's mm-hmm. the nostalgia is probably really what drives it all at the end of the day is that feeling of, I remember this and this when I was younger or, you know, my dad or a sibling or something like that. I think that nostalgia really drives it. And I, I find that more apparent when I was um, at classiccars.com really dealing with like the collector side of things and watching the values of cars go up really truly because of nostalgia. Yeah. Your environment. That's that's why I like JDM cars. Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I mean, I like all cars, but if I were to, you know, say what my dream car is, it's probably going to be some sort of JDM car. It is your environment because one group wants the clean build and another group wants as much Chrome as possible. Mm-hmm. but they're both car people complete this thought right. life as Rebecca is what busy and crazy, but it is always positive. Always positive. Let me share a story with you mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll get you out of here on this. So the reason why I've told, a, I've, I've told my good friend Wes Tankersley about you before and I go, you know, this is going to sound funny. 2019, mm-hmm. we're all at, at Monterey, Monterey Car Week. Mm-hmm. And we're walking around, and I had mentioned the podcast. And you had said, podcast. Everybody has a podcast. Every, and you're right. And it's, there's even more podcasts now. Mm-hmm. But at that moment, I was like, well, shit. I have Rebecca on my list of people. I got to make sure I get my shit straight. Like, now I have to earn the right to... Get her on my podcast. And that's why it's taken so long. It's funny as hell. It's been over mm-hmm. two years, but I, I will never forget that. And that's why it's taken me so long. I mean, I've reached out in our schedule and just didn't work out. But, mm-hmm. you know, that that was one of those things like, shit. and I'm glad it's taken so long because, mm-hmm. you know, your story is, is, is expanded. You know, this yeah, podcast has expanded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But even in that, I appreciate you for everything you've been, everything you've done, everything you'll continue to be. And, um, yeah, how can we get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram. I guess it's probably the easiest way uh, for photography and media. It's RHN Media. And then for Print Driven, it's print.driven. And um, if you want to follow my personal one, it's mostly about my car. It's Becca Bananaroo. So that's the easiest way. Becca Bananaroo. And I'll, I'll have all those links in the show description. Please help her get from six to at least 10 followers on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I just need to be a little, I need to get to the double digits. <laughs> I tell you, I think it's not, I'm at 19 right now and it's not, uh, it's not all they say it is. Rebecca, thank you so much for, for having the time to join Hard Parking. Appreciate Thanks you. for having me. More like Rebecca Wynn for joining the show. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with her. If you want to catch up with her, like she said, that's RHN Media on Instagram. Also check out Print Driven. Congrats on her one-year anniversary of doing that. And she just, she will continue to make stuff happen. A lot of stuff, like I didn't really know her very well. And that's one of the things I love about having these conversations with people is you get an opportunity to learn who they really are, where they really come from. You know, what are some of the things that they struggle with on a daily basis when all we see is the success, the nonstop drive. And I get it. I always wondered, like, where did that come from with her? It had to come from her childhood, early rejection, early family issues, something. And sure as shit, yeah. I mean, she had it tough, it sounds like. Imagine a parent putting you through drills. And I've heard stuff like that. I have another really good friend. He's a stepfather, and he's really tough on one of the, on one of the kids because the things that the, the teenager is going through, he never went through, and he's been on his own for the long time. And his mother... Tough loved him, like tough loved him. I said, look, man, it's life isn't that simple. You know, if you love your wife, you have to love the children she came with. That's a part of the transaction. And just because you were treated one way does not mean that's the way you have to keep treating other people. It's that saying, right? The hater taught hate. And even Rebecca said, you know, that's what fractured her family is you know, her siblings, as they got older, they realized that maybe some of the ways that they were taught weren't correct. And someone had to kind of stop that bleeding, stop that emotional bleeding. I don't know if I could have appreciated her more than I already did, but I really appreciate the journey 
because we always wonder what make people tick. So thank you, Rebecca, for joining this show. I also want to thank Ray Honda, high quality detail, booster bath, four wheel online, tongue treats.com, cell shop wireless services, and the credit mix, Patreon business supporter, Cooley Automotive out of Warren Garden, Florida. If you're in a position to help the podcast upgrade, join the Patreon for as little as $3 a month and get access to bonus audio as well as show swag. Some of you out there who are supporting the show in that aspect, you ready for a Christmas present. Everybody else, thank you so much for, for listening. Again, leave a review. Tell everybody about this. If you want to be a guest, let me know. Heartbreakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you have somebody you think would be a cool guest on the show, reach out. Let them know. Let's make a connection. I can't grow without you telling the world how good the show is. Let's do this. Let's grow the same together. It is almost the end of 2021. Change is coming in 2022. I have a big announcement to make in, the, in January. I will talk to you all next week. Maybe. Shut up! <laughs> Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about Four Wheel Online. For over a decade, Four Wheel Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires. So go get outfitted today. So visit them online at four wheel online or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's four wheel online, the number four wheel online.